Hey guys, it's Gracie and Abby. So before we get started, we just wanted to say rest in peace, Toby Hooper. We don't mention it in this episode, so we wanted to mention it before we get started. Abby, you wanted to say a few things? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for creating such awesome horror and really setting the standard for you know, all of the sequels that came out after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, his most well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again for Salem's Lot, it's one of my favorite vampire movies. So thank you, Toby. Thanks, Toby. And we miss you. Enjoy the show, guys. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And today we're going to be talking about the 1979 miniseries based on Stephen King's 400-page novel, Salem's Lot. It's directed by our good friend, Toby Hooper. Yay! Toby! (laughs) (laughs) And it stars David Soule, Lance Kerwin, Bonnie Bedelia, and James Mason. Now, do your James Mason. No. No? I'll do mine. James Mason. That was really bad. Hurry at throne. The master. The Kurt Barlow. Kurt with a K. That's really unique. <laughs> that's, my, that's my horrible James Mason impersonation. Oh... I love him. He's so great. Uh, That's great. So, okay. So the success of Brian De Palma's adaptation of Carrie to the big screen was a huge hit. So studios were fighting for the rights to Stephen King's other novels. Uh, After Warner Brothers Studio got the rights to make King's second novel, Salem's Lot, into a film, basically right after the book was published, they sought after the right director and writers to bring it to the screen. Unfortunately, King thought that all of the picks that they had made were a hot mess. There were a lot of creatives, uh, like horror creatives, that were chosen to do it, but none of them seemed to bring about any good ideas or anything that was even remotely truthful to the book. Yeah. And I can kind of see, especially if Stephen King was just sort of like coming out like as a writer, like what like this was the early 70s when I think they first started production Mm -hmm. so I think that uh you know I think it's fair to say that he wanted to be truthful to the story yeah Um, he said in a 1987 interview uh for the highway patrolman magazine uh he said in a way it is my favorite story mostly because of what it says about small towns they are kind of a dying organism right now The story seems sort of down home to me. I have a very special cold spot in my heart for it. Uh, During the moment of Salem's Lot being in cinema purgatory, the studio decided that maybe it was more suited to be a television miniseries than a film, and uh, because of the novel's length and King's insistence on it being truthful to the adaptation, they thought that might be best. George A. Romero was chosen to be the director, but he left the project once they decided to make it a TV miniseries because he felt that uh, creatively, like, it wouldn't do well because the budget might not be as good. Oh, boy, was he wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, I wonder what that would have been like, though. 
I know it would have been completely different movie. I think so too. Yeah, it would have been. So after Warner Brothers television producer Richard Colbitz, Colbritz. Uh, went to a screening of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he knew that Toby Hooper would be the perfect person to direct Salem's Lot. So that's how Toby Hooper got into this. Uh, Salem's Lot originally aired on CBS on November 17th and 24th of 1979 in two-hour segments. It was eventually cut down uh, and then released into theaters in parts of Europe. Uh, so that European audiences could watch it. So they didn't watch it on TV. They watched it in theaters. Oh, man. I know. Was there an intermission for that? Because... I don't know. They cut it down. So it's it wasn't oh, four hours. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what they cut out, though, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So at the same time, uh, or at this time, excuse me, it was the most expensive miniseries to be made in the U.S. Uh, it cost about $4 million. I think, to make. Dang. Yeah. Uh, Salem's Lot has received generally positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It reports that it stands at 85% freshness. Hmm. Yeah. So it's done pretty well over the years, I guess. So, Abby, could you please explain the plot to Salem's Lot? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Okay, so Salem's Lot is the story of a sleepy town in Maine... Uh, and it's being plagued by mysterious forces causing its citizens to fall ill and die, <laughs> but not remain dead. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Our main character is a novelist named Ben Mears, who returns to Salem's Lot. And Salem is actually short for Jerusalem. Jerusalem's Lot. Right, okay. So he comes back to Salem's Lot after being away for quite some time and he returns to write his next book and his next novel is going to be about a house in Salem's Lot called the Marston House and he's always had like a really bad feeling about the house and that doesn't change when he comes back like he still thinks that there is a like a very foreboding force surrounding it um so The home was actually recently acquired by an outsider, um, an old man by the name of Richard Straker, and he is also opening an antique shop at the same time that he, like, acquires this Marsden house. So, like, the Marsden house is where he lives, and then Mm -hmm. he has an antique shop in town. Right. Exactly. So, um, he begins moving his belongings into the Marsden house, and it turns out that among those belongings... (laughs) is a centuries-old vampire master named Barlow. Oh. Yeah. So as the town's (laughs) inhabitants start to fall ill to this mysterious sickness, um, the first victim is a young boy, and then it kind of spreads to everyone else. Right. So this illness, they start to feel weak and have really terrible dreams, like horrible nightmares. Okay. Um. And they don't remember, but they're being visited by vampires in the middle of the night who, like, kind of scratch at the window and oh. ask to be invited in. Yeah. So they invite them in and get bitten and get turned into vampires. And they wake up the next day not remembering any of it. Frightening. Yeah. So Yikes. it's pretty crazy. Um, so these little vampires that visit them in the middle of the night. I say little like they're tiny. They're That's normal people. Like, That's a movie, Little Vamp, The Little Vampire. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh no! Sorry. Hold on to her, Gracie. I'm, I got it. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. And the vampires are actually the ones that visit the other citizens in town. Are they're all the townspeople? So it's not like they're like strange vampires, but they're all there to do the bidding of Barlow, the vampire master. So because Ben is the outsider. Um, and he hasn't been in Salem's lot for a very long time. He is the first suspect. Uh, and, you know, like the sheriff and everybody basically accuse him and like start to point the fingers at him. But all along, Ben knows that it has something to do with the Marston house. So he goes with his gut and one night goes up there to do some investigating along with another young boy from the town named Mark. And his love interest, Susan, they all go up to the Marsden house and there they find Barlow and uh, Ben and Mark stake Barlow through the heart mm-hmm. and they burn the Marsden house down and flee the town of Salem because it's been completely overrun by vampirism. So they flee to Guatemala yeah to in search of some answers or maybe a solution to the problem or just to get the heck out yeah exactly (laughs) um get as far away as possible and uh they didn't know that susan followed them there to guatemala they thought that she just kind of disappeared because um straker actually tried to feed her to barlow when they all went up to the marsden house so susan is there in guatemala and it turns out she was uh turned into a vampire no yeah so ben stakes her through the heart and kills her love is dead literally dead and that's the end <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's actually not it there's a whole lot more this story is it's got so many different plot lines and so much this... and you know all the sleepy little town tropes that go along with it this... including the affair the yeah this film is chocked full of freaking other stories besides the vampire it's story cra- it's crazy it's, it is it's a li- it's it's a lot it's, it's so much i feel like it's more actually the story of a small town with like a vampire side story you know what i mean <laughs> yeah that's, like, Stephen King was just like, let me tell you about this little town in Maine. Oh, by the way, there's vampires. Yes. No, absolutely. I. Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny that you say that, because I we were just watching Predator 2 last night. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> and um, I was telling Luke, I was like, so the Predator movies could just be about the conflict that's happening yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Without the Predator. The Predator just shows up. Yeah. And it's like, oh, by the way. There's a predator. Let me just throw this into the fun bag mix of everything else. So true, though. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, okay. That's good. Thanks, Abby. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. So, okay. Let me tell you this. I, (laughs) I watched this movie. I knew it was long. I forgot it was three hours long. Same. Because it's a mini series. That makes sense. Okay. But, like, when you just sit down to watch it, you don't quite remember until you're like okay i gotta pee like when is the next pausing point or when does it end yeah it doesn't end i watched it and i started like falling asleep and i i obviously i'm coughing and stuff i've been sick 
Mm-hmm. So I was taking, I took an, a nighttime like cough medicine that like puts you out. Mistake. Mistake. Because Lucky move. I really thought it was almost over. I was like, okay, from what I remember from this film, it's almost over. I had 45 minutes left. I missed the whole ending and I was like, oh, snap. I have to re-watch the ending. So I rewatched the ending and I was like, okay. And then I thought, oh, crap, I forgot to see if it passes the Bechdel test. And I thought, you know what? No one's ever going to know. I'm just going to look it up online. It's nowhere online. Yeah. I had to rewatch it again. Like, I watched this movie two and a half times. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much, though, that it's you have to, so like, much. take in. It's like, oh, my God. It's a lot. And by the way, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> So there doesn't do it. That's really funny that you say that though, because when I was doing research for this movie, mm-hmm. there is not really a ton of information out there about it. Like I watched interviews with Toby Hooper and Stephen mm-hmm. King, um, but like very scant amount of information. Yeah, actually, I I felt like I learned the most when I watched the so the second time I watched it, I watched it with subtitles so I could look for the Bechdel oh, test. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. But then I had Toby Hooper's commentary on the blu- the Blu-ray at least has his commentary. Oh, right. And okay. I watched the the second time I watched it all the way through without falling asleep. He he actually I learned way more from his commentary than I could find anything online. Dang, I'll have to see if my copy has that. Yeah, you it should. It does. Yeah, you have Blu-ray, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it yeah, should yeah. be on there. Hmm. Um so I actually learned a ton from that and we'll get into it. But yeah, so um it doesn't pass the Bechtel test. There's one scene where two women <laughs> talk to each other. Yeah. And that's Susan. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia's character mm-hmm. and her mother are in the kitchen and they're talking about Ben. So it doesn't pass. <laughs> so, you know, strike what, three? I don't yeah, know. Like, whatever. Know. It just doesn't, it doesn't pass. Like, it's two women who have names and they're together talking, but they don't, they only talk about a man. Yeah. So that stinks. But you have a lot to say about that, actually. Um, you said that all of the women in this play victims. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely do. Like you said, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. There's only one scene where two women talk to each other. Right. Um, if we are remembering correctly, and I'm I'm pretty I sure know. it's just the one scene. Um, but literally all of the women are victims in this movie. There's a woman who is a victim of domestic abuse. Yep. Um, and the main female characters get turned into vampires and i mean susan gets like taken by um straker and like fed to barlow the vampire yeah and she susan herself has a you know she's got ambition and she's an educated woman but she's an artist she's so she's so wafy like well, and Toby Hooper said in the commentary that he wanted to cast um, Bonnie Bedelia because she had a sort of vulnerableness yeah. about her. And mm-hmm. that, to me, was, like, the key word because uh, Susan is vulnerable. Like, she is... Here's the thing. She... Okay, so she becomes a vampire. I got it. And I think it's supposed to be more of, like, a oh, this sweet, nice woman 
who is cute and has these ambitions like you said and oh no now she's a vampire and I think that's our way of like trying to feel for her and feel for Ben because mm-hmm. he really likes her but yeah and I mean she's smart and she's witty and <laughs> she knows what I, she wants the one <laughs> when I was re-watching this there's a part where she's talking to her ex-boyfriend yeah Ted Nibbit or yeah. whatever his name is yes and he says something like um something about oh I thought you loved me. And she was like, that was a hundred years ago. That's what she said. (laughs) That was a hundred years ago. (laughs) I was like, like, yes, get it, Susan. (laughs) (laughs) She definitely knows what she wants and she stands up for herself. But uh, she is there to be Ben's. Yeah, she's like a side piece. She is. She is there to be his love interest because Mm -hmm. it's not about her. It's about him. And she it just makes me so mad. She has, like, no real, like, screen time. Like, no Mm -hmm. real, like, time for her. It's all about her and her relationship with him. And even though she... She makes this comment while they're by the lake where she's like, oh, my God, like, I'm a free spirit. What does she say? Something like, I've been liberated and I'm going to tell you that I like you. And I'm like... Oh, yeah. Yep. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're so liberated. Like, what? Like... (laughs) I know it's con- it's really it's like a huge contradiction. It I feels like, like I paused the film to see at what point I was at. This film is three hours. We were in twenty two minutes, and she was already like, "Oh my god, I love you!" And he was like, mm-hmm, "Do you?" And she was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Okay." And I'm like, <laughs> twenty two minutes, and that's where we're at. And I'm like, wait. And then they're like kissing and like they're it's a dating, very and I'm like, strange what? relationship that they have. So strange because like, they act like they've known each other forever. If they had been friends, like when they were kids, right, that yeah. would have been, been different. Mm-hmm. But they don't, this is the first time they've met. Yeah. And t- like, as far as she knew too, he was still married. And like, she asked him if she's, he's married still. And like, if he has any kids His and wife stuff. just died two years ago. Yeah. Yep. And that, that to me isn't very long, but I don't know. Whatever. Right. <laughs> Hey guys, we're going to take a short break here and thank James for being one of our $25 patrons. James, you are so cool. Thank You're you so the best. much. Yay. Yay! Listen though, I tried to write you a poem. <laughs> it didn't turn out so well. Uh, so next time, you're going to get one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James. James, you rock. It's people like you that keep Good Morning Nancy going. So thank you so much. Guys, if you want to help support us on Good Morning Nancy, go to patreon.com slash Nancy. Thanks, guys, so much. Okay, so Salem's Lot, like, it doesn't have, like, breathtaking cinematography in my opinion no it i think doesn't have an awe-inspiring like composer score and there's like a lot of weird quirks in the performance yeah yeah but it's still really scary it is it's very frightening yeah so let's talk about the different talent uh in this that kind of like help us to you know uh, help us see like how scary it is and the believability I think that's in it. Uh, mm-hmm. David Soul, who plays Ben, the main character, mm-hmm. uh, he's actually a British American singer and songwriter. What? He's a singer. I looked up some of his music. Oh man, it's good. <laughs> You're kidding? No, 
He's a singer. It's crazy. But he's also uh, Hutch in Starsky and Hutch. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So that's what he was known for. Huh. Yeah, it was for doing that before Salem's Lot. So when they got him to be in this movie, like, he was big stuff, like, in the 70s. Wow. So that was, like, a big deal. Yeah. Um, and he actually, he wanted to do more serious stuff. Hmm. And because Startsky and Hutch was nice because it got him fame, but, like, he wanted to do more, like, serious acting. Yeah. And so, like, this was, like, his step forward into doing that. And Toby Hooper said in the commentary how he loved working with him and he was super professional so awesome yeah uh and then of course james mason <laughs> who james mason <laughs> when you're <laughs> mr barlow that's the best Here's i can do the suit that you wanted <laughs> yes <laughs> james mason who is just a, a super accomplished british actor um he was humbert humbert and lolita uh he, from what I remember him from, was when he was that uh, crazy spy guy in North by Northwest, um, Philip Van, D- Van Dam. <laughs> and then, yeah, he was the bad guy in that. And then he was Captain Nemo in Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, my God. Which is, yeah, what I grew I grew up on, like, the old Disney movies. And mm-hmm. so I always liked him in that role. So Toby Hooper said that it was like his friends were like really jealous of him. Oh my god! Because he got to work with James Mason, on like his second movie ever or whatever. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the? They're basically the two main characters. What do you think of their performances in this? Like, do you think they're believable? Do you think they're kind of quirky, or do you think that's meant to be that way? Um, I mean, I feel like James Mason is like super serious about it. Because he's a professional. Yes. Yeah, of course. So, um, I mean, his acting is very convincing, but I I almost feel like it's too serious. Yeah, and sometimes I think David's soul, he always seems to be thinking, like, something. Yeah. He always seems, like, his thoughts seem to be, like, super dark and mysterious. Yes. And I'm like, what are you thinking? Yeah, I know. (laughs) I get that. Yeah, uh, so that's interesting. Uh, Elijah Cook Jr., who plays the drunkard homeless guy, <laughs> is the freaking guy from Rosemary's Baby. Yes. And the guy from House on Haunted Hill, who's mm-hmm. also a drunkard in that. <laughs> He's just really good at being drunk, I guess. I guess so. But I love seeing him and stuff. He always makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, Fred Willard is the realtor, and he's in all of those... Uh, uh, Christopher, what's it? Christopher Guest, Christopher Guest movies like uh, and waiting, waiting for Guffman. That's the one. Oh, waiting no, for I'm, Guffman. They're all familiar. like they're like mockumentaries, like fake documentaries. Ah, okay, okay. So he, so he actually does a lot of comedy. Like I know him from those. Yep. Um, and then we he have, looks like a comedian, like a comedy actor, right? <laughs> like he doesn't look like he fits that role. Uh, Reggie Nalder is. The Kurt Barlow, the the vampire. Oh, okay. So Reggie Nalder was. This is what I remember him from. And when I saw a picture of him online, I thought this guy looks so familiar. I couldn't tell in the when he was in the vampire makeup. Makeup, mm-hmm. but when I saw like his picture on Wikipedia, I was like, this guy and this is so familiar to me. But he is the assassin in The Man Who Knew Too Much with Jimmy Stewart. Holy crap. That's bananas. Yes, that's, that's him. That's so cool. I know. And it's like, 
oh my god and even toby hooper in the commentary was like you know he he was already kind of menacing looking yeah (laughs) holy crap yeah so that's pretty neat so let's talk about toby hooper and this movie so he really wanted to like kind of toby hooper is okay toby hooper is interesting because he's very interesting he is such a character in him in himself okay so texas chainsaw to me has such a different feeling absolutely than salem's lot since you love toby hooper and texas chainsaw do you want to expand on that like what do you notice is like a huge difference between those two movies so obviously it's a it's an entirely different setting completely so you know with texas chainsaw being his first i think maybe you can see it in the cinematography or maybe it's just me being super picky he it looks like he was a little bit out of his element with the way that he filmed salem's lot absolutely which sort of like adds to the quirkiness of it so i mean he made it work but like his other films like i don't know if you're familiar but have you ever seen eaten alive no i haven't that one was, I think that one takes place in, like, Louisiana. So those are, like, you can tell that they're, like, hot, like, creepy, like, bayou kind of, like, Everyone's, backwoods. like, sweating. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean, yeah. But this was so different because everyone is so clean cut and it had kind of, like, a cold feeling to it. And I think the... That's a really good point. And I think that the only time that I felt like it was a Toby Hooper movie was with Boom Boom Bonnie. Uh, yeah. The girl that's cheating on her husband. Mm-hmm. And when she's in that like hot pants like yes. outfit. Yeah, yeah. That's like, and like she was kind of shiny. Yeah. So like like that feeling of like it's hot and it's grimy, like that kind of, that feeling that Toby Hooper films give you. Um, I actually, she was the only one. I didn't know that Toby Hooper directed this until we started talking about our first episode because I was doing a bunch of research on him and like Texas Chainsaw and I was like, holy crap. I honestly probably would not have known that he directed it if I didn't have that background information. So um, it is quite a different feel. Yeah, and he mentioned how this was his first TV thing that he had mm-hmm. ever done. So he wasn't really quite used to the process of, even though it's it's not a television like show, it's a right. series, but he said he wasn't really used to like the concept of, of filming TV. I feel like if it had been made into a movie, it would have been a lot more graphic. Like, a lot more graphic. Um, because... This, for him, I I feel like is a little bit on the tame side. Definitely on the tame side. Uh, But I think that, and this is why I think that it's still very scary, is that um, he uses a lot of the campy uh, stuff that we're familiar with in horror, Mm -hmm. and he plays it up to the next level. Yeah. So, like, the whole idea of, like, coffins and mysterious packages from Europe and that Mm -hmm. whole, like, mystery thing, like, that to me is what makes it kind of scary. And, like, that, of course, has to do a lot with Stephen King's story because it's very faithful. I think Toby Hooper, he really, he said that on the set he would go back and, like, read the book to make sure that he was sticking as close to the story as possible. Yeah. So I think that by having all of that creepy, 
sort of old horror movie imagery in it it sort of plays with our imaginations a lot Mm -hmm. and i think that's what makes it still really scary even though it's not something that he would normally do right absolutely uh but yeah i uh i got scared when i first saw this when i was a kid yeah heck yeah the first the thing that that stuck with me was uh the little glick boy the youngest one who's like scratching at the window for his brother Danny to come Mm. open the door Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is with Toby Hooper but like I a lot of my my scares when I was little like the real scares were Toby Hooper movies like the part in the poltergeist where the guy's ripping his face off yeah and the uh part in the movie Funhouse where like the girls are being chased through the Funhouse by the deformed monster guy oh yeah 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 and uh you know, like all that stuff, like, and then of course this movie, and I know it's like you're not in your head because it's so true. It's like no, the imagery the of this imagery movie is crazy, insane, so scary. So okay, let's talk about the production design. Yeah. Uh, so you're an artist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, I love hearing like what you have to say about the production design. So like, what do you? How do you feel like he did with like the whole like old horror movie imagery and and the oh, main. Man imagery i love it i love that it kind of um you know paid its respects to you know the classic vampire look and i'm really glad that he went like along those nosferatu lines when he made barlow because in the book he's actually supposed to be like a suave like frenchman who looks human yeah so he made barlow super menacing and incredibly scary like he even has like the like crazy fangs and stuff and he's bald and he's got these big ears and these huge like demonic eyes and that was a huge deal for me because like you can make creature effects look super realistic and all that kind of stuff but I think eyes are the most frightening thing about like movie monsters so yeah I agree yeah absolutely so um I love that he kind of mm, like twisted that a little bit yeah definitely and you know you recognize Barlow like you you recognize Nosferatu and then you can tell the difference between that and this vampire and I think a lot of movies that followed this kind of like sort of stayed with that imagery for a really long time. Um, and as far as the other vampires, probably the most, um, well, they're among the most frightening vampires for, like, the horror genre. Yeah, because they're not pretty. They're not. and you, But they look real Yeah, at the same time. They're not like the Hammer horror film, like, beautiful vampire women. Mm-hmm. Their skin is, like, that chalky green kind of color. They're gross. Yeah, and their their fangs are very similar to Barlow's. They, like, come to, like, a weird V point. Yeah. It's, like, so yep. strange. And their eyes are, like, raccoons at night. Like, yes. So scary. Man, the part where the two guys who have been um transformed when they come crawling out of the pit in the house that scared the crap out of me it's still scary that part it is like turn around turn around turn around god it's so so scary it's so gross also side note i want to say that um what we do in the shadows yeah the old vampire peter (laughs) looks 
exactly like Barlow. And that was the first thing that popped into my head when I watched it again. And I was like, oh, it's Peter. (laughs) Peter. Oh, my God. So good. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Like, so the production design is that's no accident. Like, it's definitely based on, like, the old classic gothic horror. And well, and I think Toby Hooper went with what he knew. So mm-hmm. he, I mean, obviously he's familiar with, you know, the old horror films of the past. And he was probably like, hey, this would be 100% scarier if we did this. Yes. And let me tell you, that perfectly sums up. Okay. So um, Toby Hooper actually wanted the Marsden house to look like the house from Psycho. Ah, And yeah. so it does, and he said in the commentary, oh, you have to watch the commentary. It's so good. I do. He he talked in the commentary about how he wanted it to not look exactly like the house, but to have it have the same unwelcoming, mm-hmm. like, shapes. That's so funny, because it had a lot of, like, um, psycho feeling to it, I guess. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. Because yeah. nobody goes in the house right. until the end, basically, and that's kind of like what happens at in Psycho like mm-hmm. you really get to explore the house at the end when the sister and the boyfriend go in mm-hmm. and you do a kind of a little bit when the cop guy goes in the detective but not really like you really get to explore it like when they go in at the end and that's the same right. for Salem's Lot yeah uh so that house was interesting because there was a real like normal looking house behind that house like they built just an outside of a house and they kind built of what it, they did for pet cemetery yes and they built it around that house that's nuts yeah so and people is still, that like a thing with stephen king movies i don't know or like, is that a thing with movies i had no idea that that was like a thing like people still lived in that house and toby hooper said that he never saw the actual owners come in and out but they lived in there while they were filming that's crazy yeah oh my god that's so nuts that is that's so funny because when I was watching that Pet Cemetery documentary, yeah, they did literally the same exact thing. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, so they did that for that too. So there were actual people living on that hill and Toby Hooper was like, "Oh my god, I love this set because like this house can see into the house that is going to be playing uh, mm-hmm. you know, Salem's Lot. Uh the town that's going to be playing Salem's Lot. So we need to put a house here, but we can't you know we can't use this house so they built around it oh my god how crazy would that be to like be living in that house and then watch this movie be made and you're like i kind of want to move now i don't want to live here anymore (laughs) this place is scary now to me it's creepy so a little thing about ben's jeep oh my god i'm so glad you brought this up because i like all of the cars in this movie i'm like oh I need them. I know. I, I was. All. I was actually thinking of you for these because I was like, Abby probably loves all of these cars. In yes. This heck <laughs> yes. Oh my god. But listen, listen, listen. So the Jeep, uh, Toby Hooper wanted him to have a Jeep because it's the most vulnerable car because there's no like the doors and the windows are like really easy to get through, right? So like he thought, okay, so like you when the town is safe, like you think that you're safe in your Jeep and whatever. And then as the town becomes more dark, even the cars aren't safe because yeah. like they could get into his Jeep. Wow. Isn't that such a great idea? Like that he is. wanted a vulnerable car so that you wouldn't even feel safe in your car. Oh my God. Isn't that so That's good? That's great. Yeah. Yes. Oh, 
Toby. I know. He Good knows. thinking. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> All of the props in uh, Mark Petrie's room, uh, Lance Kerwin's character. Yes. Those were all Warner Brothers props. Like those were all things that Warner Brothers like had, and they were like, "Here's all this scary crap that we have. You can throw That's this in this so kid's room." Awesome. So that poster of the Wolfman is probably like legit, really, like though. from someone's office. Yes, absolutely. That is so cool. Yeah. So like Warner Brothers was like, "Here, have all this stuff for this film," and like they were able to get all of that, like scary crap into his room which i love that room i was like i do too paintings? i was like this could be like a good morning nancy studio space no seriously <laughs> even For like real. the color like the purples and yes. stuff and the great like couch chair that I he like has how, i'm like wow also this kid is supposed to be like super young like he's not even high school age is he or he might be like a freshman and he's, he's like, got what, 14 he's got like a freaking, it looks like Dracula's, like, sex dungeon for a, <laughs> a room. And, like, you're only 14. What's happening right now? His parents are probably like, yo, what is happening? Well, it's so oh, his parents are like that, though. Yeah, his dad is like, well, you can't really make a living with all this stuff. And he's like, I'll make a living. And he <laughs> says it with such confidence that I'm like, are you talking about maybe being a serial killer or, like... Or like locking oh, people in or your horror movie podcaster like us. Oh, true. Yeah. I guess I can't say much. No, I know. <laughs> um, I want to say that that's Stephen King as a kid. I want to say Ben yeah, is sure. him as an adult, and mm-hmm. Marcus him as a child, and he has both of. And maybe Barlow is him as an old old man. Maybe. Mm. I guess so. It's an interesting. <laughs> Flat twist. Yes. Can you imagine? Oh my god. Oh yikes. I I just I love this film because going back to the classic stuff, like we live in a time. Let's sit down. Let's hold hands and we live in a time where vampires can run really fast and they can do all this crazy glittering crap. Like I love the old vampires I do that too. are in rickety coffins who can't be seen in the sunlight and who suck blood (laughs) you know not this vegetarian vampire crap like this is what I love and Toby Hooper like even then like knew even in the 70s like Dracula came out in what 1931 Mm -hmm. like he knew even all those years later like 30-ish 40-ish years later that this is what people like yeah and vampires like they love the old cre- creaky like mm-hmm. gothic vampire so i don't know yeah absolutely that's why i think even to this day salem's lot is still very scary because it plays on those old fears that we have that i think that as a human culture that have stuck with us mm-hmm. like all these thousands of years so yeah. yeah so abby final thought do evil homes attract evil men that's a quote from the movie. Uh, Stephen King is big on the idea that homes are like batteries and need to be charged by some sort of energy, whether it's good or evil. Toby Hooper said that even the natives of our country believed in bad places, and that's in quotes. Uh, do you think that that is something that is real? And if it's not real, do you think that that still works in horror movies? Well, 
Um, coming from a very, I will say, a very vague background in psychology. Yeah, um, a vague background. <laughs> yeah, but, well, I I studied psychology for two years, and yeah. that was it. So I like d- I'm not an authority by any means. Um, you know more than me. But I mean, you talk a lot. <clears throat> excuse me. You talk a lot about how your environment shapes you. Mm. Because there's that whole, like, nature versus nurture thing. Right. And they've kind of, like, disposed of that. It's more of, like, nature and nurture goes hand in hand. There's no verses there. Yeah. So I think your environment, obviously, is a huge part of your upbringing. So if you're raised in a place that's got, you know, evil spirits or there's some kind of, like, urban legend that surrounds you constantly then yeah you would be attracted to that and there's probably like a pull that's there always because you know how everyone says like you always come back home yeah kind of thing Mm -hmm. so I think that has a lot to do with it yeah I that's a really good point I agree with that yeah very cool thank (laughs) you wow guys well thanks for listening to this episode of good morning nancy next week we'll be talking about one of our favorite modern day horror hits from australia see you then (laughs) bye bye